you guys know that Steven Seagal is a bad guy? Yeah. He's a fucking maniac. <laughs> I listened to the podcast a while ago, and I may have told you this. Valerie had recommended it okay. to me. God. And it's called well, Valerie. It's called Behind the Bastards. Oh. Okay. And it's just a podcast about bad people. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Steven Seagal is one of them. And it was almost a joke how bad of a guy he was. None of that surprises me. He's also, a terrible actor. <laughs> yeah, he is. He also, he also got his acting career because he has connections to the mob. I didn't know that. That's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, he was also, like, a fucking, like, police officer in Louisiana or something. He said he was. But he... <laughs> okay. They I can't wait him. to hear the second half of this. To, you have to listen to Behind the Bastards, the Steven Seagal part one and part two, because it is wild in the beginning, and then it just gets more and more... It gets into human trafficking. <gasps> the mop. Obviously, he's a man in Hollywood. Sexual yeah. assault. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, He said he was a police officer, but he just had an honorary position and then wouldn't leave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and then he had, he, he based, his whole career is based off of lies. He I doesn't, mean, he's, he stole people's stories. People would tell him stories. And then he oh, would take them and start turn around and be like, you guys will never believe what happened to yeah. me. He was like, look at how much of a man I am. Oh and there gosh. were several instances of him being like, oh, I'm a man. And then being immediately, like, proved wrong. Because <laughs> he, like, was talking about, at one point, he was like, oh, I used to be in the Navy SEALs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then didn't know how to read a compass or, like, <laughs> swim very well. <laughs> That's all I was... <laughs> <sighs> I oh. am excited to listen to this podcast now. Because we, we were talking... I, I thought of it because we were talking about doing... We were talking about how you can do dark comedy well. Yes. Because yeah. you have to be a very skilled comedian to take charge topics like suicide uh-huh. and sexual assault and, mm-hmm. and try to make it so you're not punching down. Make mm-hmm. it funny and make sure that you're laughing at the right people. Exactly. But he apparently, he's banned from SNL. Jesus Christ. <laughs> because he, well, not because of a lot of reasons, but one of the, like, table pitches that they had, mm-hmm. he was like, okay, here's a joke. This woman gets raped, and then she goes to a therapist, mm-hmm. and then he also rapes her. But it's funny because, like... The joke is you have to go to therapy your whole life and they take all your money and it's a joke. Oh my God. And it it was described as like everybody around the table was like crickets. What the fuck is wrong with you, bro? No, Stephen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. I can't believe someone had to go. What? No, that's not funny, man. He is infamously the worst person to have ever been on SNL. That seems like an accurate thing. And that's not the worst thing he's done. There's so many... Look, go listen to it, go everybody. Listen to it. Please. But listen to this first. Hello, we are that Brodska <laughs> Yes, we are. <laughs> we are here. We are telling you about other podcasts, but... But you have to listen to this first as payment. Yeah. Or I'll... 
I'll we'll find you. I'll find you. <laughs> we are also connected to the mob. <laughs> no, we're not. I'm also going to say I'm a police officer, mm. but I have no connections uh, to the police. Do you know jujitsu also? Um, like Steven Seagal, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> but no, <laughs> I don't know jujitsu. Although when I was in wrestling, uh-huh. uh, there was a man who came in named Jujitsu John who would teach us submission oh. moves. That's cool. So I guess maybe. <laughs> yeah, I do. Okay. Oh, you, you know, maybe bits and pieces I dabbled of in the art of submission. I can oh. Oh. take you down. Oh, girl. <laughs> Did it get warm right here? <laughs> oh, my God. What did Levi say earlier today? I got to go touch that hole. <laughs> what? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> we were on the putting green. <laughs> like i've never done this before i gotta go touch that hole (laughs) he also said (laughs) good one this one's tender and bulbous (laughs) it's talking about blackberries and then he also said ooh, bloops (laughs) bloops for blueberries yeah no i know blacks (laughs) and then, <laughs> it doesn't work as well as moves. Can Kathy read this so we have a good audio? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. 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 Quotes from so, Levi. Go quotes ahead. from Levi. I need to touch the hole. Okay. Number First one. one. Okay. Ooh, bloobs. <laughs> okay. Talking about blueberries. Mm-hmm. And then, or blacks. And then he laughed and said, that doesn't work as well as bloobs. Because they were just... Uh, yeah. And then, and then, uh, the, the Liz. Ooh, this one's tender and bulbous. <laughs> Gross. Which was the grossest way to describe a fucking... Berry. Berry. But boy, boy, we had some good fucking laughs. The bloobs thing made me laugh. Oh, ooh, bloobs. Blacks. That doesn't work. <laughs> uh, so good. Bloops. God damn it. Love him. Fan of the show. All right. He doesn't listen. He doesn't. <laughs> he hasn't. He's very excited, too. He was like, I haven't listened yet. It's really hard for me to get involved in something new. <laughs> it is. It took him a year to listen to Hamilton. Uh, and it's because in exchange, because I, in exchange for like a, you listen to this and I'll. Uh-huh. This thing that you want me to do. That's what we did. Mm. And you liked it. He, how can you not? Yeah. I was going to tell you something funny. What was it? Oh, so last night at dinner, <laughs> I told Danny that I had um a, a very sexy dream mm-hmm. that involved uh, a celebrity that you and I both like that we have talked about. Jason on- Momoa. No. Oh. <laughs> He's got a mustache, though. Oh. 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 Yeah. I forgot his name. Doc Holliday? Yep. Mm. <laughs> Indeed. Mm-hmm. And so I'm telling her this, and she's asking me questions, and I was like, I I don't kiss and tell. <laughs> <laughs> but then after I described this to her, I was like, my face is hot. I'm getting all flushed. It's <laughs> like, do I look red? Because I feel it. <laughs> Uh, it was a good... What's his name? Tim Razan. Tim Razan. Mm-hmm. Uh, there it is. 
There it is. He made me believe in mustaches. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get a hallelujah? Hallelujah. <laughs> okay. This Have we that... said who we are? <laughs> I think we, I aggressively said it, but <laughs> this is that Broad's Got Moxie. Sure is. This is Cassie. This is the other one that Keeks. you should know by now. It's Keeks. No, don't let them know my name. Sorry. It's. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get to know who I am. No. Okay, what gave you the right? You think you, you can, can just... find her on Instagram? You think you fine. could just click play and know my name? Yeah, it's written on the art. Everything. But good luck fucking pronouncing it after reading it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God. Anyway. I don't know um, why I'm so mad. <laughs> look, it's been a trying day for you. You yes. rode the bus with a Nazi. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I have a blister on my foot. Oh, gosh. I always have blisters on my feet. Yeah. They're not made for shoes. My whole body wasn't made for clothes. <laughs> I honestly can't think. I can. An ascot, I'm fine with. <laughs> but it's not exactly great to walk around in just an ascot. Ass out. <laughs> Cock out. Ascot on. That wasn't a well. That wasn't a well crafted joke. Look. I thought it was funny. The delivery was solid. I, joke. Thought, the, I thought it could have been Meh. better. Let me. <laughs> Let me come back. I'll workshop that. <sighs> okay. A few episodes, I'll come up with a good joke. Hold on. I gotta get my fan out here. I'm very warm all of a sudden. <laughs> Ooh. My name's Kiana. I decided to give up. Oh. You're Kiana. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got yelled at because my hooving of the air was... <laughs> Nuggets in the other room. Cats are Having screaming at each other. Okay. Okay, episode 32. 32. That's how many years old I will be this year. Yay! Yay. November. Mm-hmm. I remember. Mm-hmm. Ooh, and I rhyme. Oh. All the you. time. Mm-hmm. I'm a poet. Stop it. Girl, you know it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into it. What you doing? <laughs> I'm done. I'm an artiste. <laughs> yeah, she is. She's going to throw down some fucking sick poetry on her patreon yeah it's some that we've been telling people for months (laughs) that we're gonna get on and then look it's been a busy summer it's been a busy life it is a busy goddamn life indeed okay so this week i hate to do this to you the fuck so (laughs) (laughs) look i know you have a fondness in your heart for this particular person you fucking do martha stewart (laughs) No, a different person. Okay. Um, so this week, the moxie lady that I am covering is Nancy Reagan. <laughs> you know I had a hard day. <laughs> and you're going to come at me with a Reagan? Girl, don't get me started. <laughs> Oh my god, we need a fan in here because I'm about to start sweating. I, you said Reagan and my legs start are moist. <laughs> I'm just mad. <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe you. <laughs> okay, well, believe this. I'm not actually doing Nancy Reagan. Are you? I, I, <laughs> I don't like this prank. <laughs> 
actually like full body sweating. I was like, you, I feel like we need to have a, like, um, we need to have a warning for me. <laughs> like, make an exception. <laughs> oh my gosh. I am, I'm wet. I'm, dr- I'm drenched in sweat. <laughs> because I was living <laughs> at just the idea of discussing oh, Nancy. Oh god, oh. I'm so high five. Oh man! Look, Danny's known about this for four days. I'm so mad at you guys. So how this? I'm went- quitting. How dare you set me up? It was so good. So Danny asked, "I'm me- leaving. <laughs> I need some air. Give me a second. <laughs> oh God." I'm so pleased. I've never been more tickled in my life. I'm back. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So I really was really hot. <laughs> Real quick, let me explain. Okay. So the other day, Danny says she was like, "Do you know who you're fucking doing this week?" And I went, mm, "I don't know." Blah blah blah. And I was like, mm, I, "I I'll do Nancy Reagan." And Danny was like, "What?" <laughs> that <laughs> and i was like you're right i can't fucking do that keeks will murder me <laughs> fucking straight up but also then i was like oh but i'm gonna tell her i'm doing nancy <laughs> reagan because it's gonna be glorious to see her face i don't like you playing with my emotions like that i thought we were <laughs> <laughs> uh i'm sorry it's okay that was a funny joke and i appreciate it you're welcome in retrospect <clears throat> i will laugh <laughs> the the long just like uh, i was like oh shit girl because I, I was just prepared to get mad just rolling anger <laughs> and then i was gonna have to do mine <laughs> right you're like you can't fucking come at me with this at the beginning of the episode if you do nancy uh-huh make sure you're coming at second hold on after a so, short recess, short recess, we've decided not to break up the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we will be continuing as usual mm-hmm. with DoorDash. With DoorDash. Not an ad. We just got food. <laughs> <laughs> who are you doing? Okay. So, actually, who are you doing? Oh. You just don't pay attention. Because I'm going first. <laughs> What? Look, you'll understand when I tell you. <clears throat> so the woman I am talking about today is uh, a little lady named Mary Mallon. Oh. Oh, yeah. You know who that is. Yeah, I do. Yeah, you do. But go. Okay. <laughs> Mary Mallon, <clears throat> uh, a.k.a. Typhoid Mary. Yes. 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 Fucking love okay. typhoid Mary. Who doesn't? Okay. People who died of typhoid. 
That's why I was like, you, I was talking to Danny. I yeah. was like, just don't listen because she's currently eating enchiladas. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay because it's cooked. Yes. It's very fucking hot is what it is. <laughs> I almost burned my damn hands. Okay. Tell me about Okie dokie. So real quick, I got some of my information from Wikipedia and let's see, a couple other, like, all that's interesting is always a real fun one mm-hmm. to look at. But I really like, I listen to books mm-hmm. almost all day. I started listening to The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich the other day, <laughs> which is a very fucking long book, let yeah. me tell you. But I was when I decided to do Typhoid Mary, it was because my favorite murder, mm-hmm. which we love... Mm-hmm. It was one of their, like... Top three. Top three. And I was like, this is so good. I loved it when they did it. And I listened to... Uh, what was the other podcast that I listened to where they talk about Typhoid Mary? Was it This Podcast Will Kill You? It might have been This Podcast Will Kill You. Anyway. But I was like, I want I want to know, like, what... He wrote it. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Like, what else I can find out? Mm-hmm. So I downloaded this really great book called Terrible Typhoid Mary, and it's by Susan Campbell Bartoletti. Ooh. And it's a true story of the deadliest cook in America. Ooh. That's a fun way to put her. Yes. And so I got, like I said, I got a bunch of information from Wikipedia, and I was like, this is all the same information that I've heard elsewhere mm-hmm. so it's like i want to i want some more mm-hmm. <clears throat> so download the book listen to it couldn't stop talking about it the other day danny was like can we eat <laughs> can we just have dinner <laughs> and not danny talk about probably so mad at you it's such a trigger her for her too and so i was like "Ooh, hope you're enjoying your bolognese <laughs> hope you're gonna enjoy editing this later <laughs> sound engineer <laughs> you're gonna hear it twice <laughs> so many times okay so I'm going to be succinct. Mm -hmm. Mary Mallon. She's born on September 23rd in 1869 in Cookston. What? What did you say? You said 69 and I said nice. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Okay. So she's born in Cookston, which is a small village in Northern Ireland. And Cookston is located in County Tyrone. Which is one of the poorest areas of in Ireland at that time. Mm-hmm. It's not great. So with dreams of a better life, she immigrated to the United States in 1883 and moved in with her aunt and uncle. Uh, but shortly after she moved in, they both died. Not sure how, but they were both pretty quickly. Maybe typhoid. <laughs> Maybe typhoid. Who knows? She's suddenly by herself in fucking New York City. Mm-hmm. Not great. Uh, and she's only 15. Mm. So she begins working for affluent families doing like household. She was a household servant. So it's, you know, we can assume that she started like doing laundry and cleaning and things like that. Shining <clears throat> the silver. Shining the silver. Buffing, buffing those candlesticks or i don't know look i don't know <laughs> that sounded really inappropriate yeah you buff that candlestick oh girl 
go counterclockwise on that bitch. (laughs) Wax on, wax off, baby. (laughs) Sorry, that was weird. Okay. Um, So she proved her culinary skills um, and began working as the household cook. And I said she knew all the potato recipes. (laughs) Um, So doing this, she made roughly $45 a month. And this was a, mind you, this was a good paying job. Yeah. Okay. So $45 a month. I broke, I broke it down. Okay, cool. I was like, how much, how much are we talking about per hour? So she worked roughly 14 hours a day. Mm-hmm. That's too many hours <laughs> already. <laughs> right off the bat. Too many hours. So many hours. Uh, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Okay. Too many days. Too many days. So broken down like that. Mm-hmm. It's somewhere between 10 and 15 cents yeah an hour god bless the unions no kidding oh my it's could you imagine bananas okay so let's see in 1900 she's been working with all these different families and stuff in 1900 she was she worked in mamaronek i think is how you say it mamaronek mm-hmm. new york and within 2 weeks of her employment Residents of the home developed typhoid fever. Mm-hmm. In 1901, she moved to Manhattan, and that family also developed high fevers and diarrhea. And then the laundress died. Hmm. And then Mary went to work for a lawyer, and shortly after she started, seven of the eight people in that household fell ill. Jesus. So there's a pattern here emerging yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then she's she's working mm-hmm. and constantly like she was very she was taking care of business. Mm-hmm. She's a very proud um Irish immigrant. She's got to take care of herself. She's mm-hmm. making it happen. So in 1906, Mary was hired by a wealthy New York bank president. I think he was actually the the vice president. Um his name was Charles Henry Warren. So, the family had rented a house from, I think the couple's name is the Thompsons. Mm-hmm. I think I wrote that down right. So, they rented this fancy-ass house in Oyster Bay, which is right off of Long Island, in the summer. And they fired their cook while they were there. Mrs. Mrs. Warren, banker's wife, calls up this essentially like a temp agency mm-hmm. and says, I need a new cook. Send one to me. And so boop, 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 here comes Miss Mary Mallon. And so she's working for them. And she was apparently a really good cook. Yeah. Nobody knows where she learned Probably. how to be a good cook. But, I mean, she oh, was yeah. only 15 when she immigrated. So she was quite young. I mean. Yeah. I don't know. Look, she was a what, good cook. What is good cooking co- back in the day, though? Mo- stews and, like, meat and potatoes. But, like, and... I'm talking about what? How, <laughs> how, how educated were people's palates? Not very. Not very. Did she just know how to salt things? <laughs> and then it was Maybe. like, oh, yes, of course. Uh, but you know what they loved that she made? Potatoes. Well, obviously, who doesn't love potatoes? Oh, man. <laughs> you said potatoes earlier. <laughs> Danny doesn't like potatoes? No, Danny fucking loves potatoes in every shape. 
Why'd you raise your hand if you like potatoes? Oh. Oh. Danny said peaches. Danny did say, because, don't know if you know, but we have 36 pounds of them in the kitchen right now that Danny is going to eat over the next week. Yep. (laughs) And then I'm going to can. Anyway, so yes, the family's, like, favorite dish Mm -hmm. was a dessert that she made as homemade ice cream Mm -hmm. with fresh country peaches cut up in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was actually going to make peach ice cream, and then I was like, or maybe not. Or maybe, <laughs> maybe hold I will. off until next summer when it's <laughs> out of your mind. <laughs> so, from August 27th mm-hmm. from to September 3rd, over that, like, week, six out of the 11 people in the household mm-hmm. came down with typhoid fever. So, it was, like, two maids, the gardener. Two of the children, and I think Mrs. Warren. Rough. It's not great. Danny, I'm going to need you to earmuffs for a second. So, quick explanation. (laughs) (laughs) So, typhoid is one of the 20th century's most terrifying killers because it basically, it could infect an entire household and no one would, like, know what was going on. Mm Mm-hmm. Because the first week, it presents itself very, like, innocuously. There's a fever, abdominal cramping. It's just very, like, you know, mild flu-like symptoms. Week two, higher fever. And the patient becomes, like, delirious. Mm -hmm. Lots of fever dreams. Mm -hmm. And then also they get kind of, like, a rash, like a blotchy rash. Because blood is coming to the, like, underneath the skin. Yeah. And your the like abdomen becomes all like puffed up and distended. Ugh. Not cute. Third week brings inflammation of the brain. Yike. And intestinal hemorrhaging. Also not great. Bleeding. Week four without treatment leads to death in ten to thirty percent of those affected. Oh wow. Yeah. And so mm. with typhoid if you, it's kind of like the chicken pox. Like, once you get it, it's in your body, but you don't get it again. Yeah. Um, you have a vaccine. Your body builds. It, exactly. It the, builds up, like, an immunity to it. Yes. Yeah. That's the word I was, mm-hmm. was going to say a vaccine to it. I was like, that's not. <laughs> that's what gets put in you. Vaccinate your kids. Okay. So, Mr. Warren is losing his mind. He's confused and concerned, and he's like, how did this happen? Mm -hmm. I'm a wealthy Um, man. We don't get the poor man's illness. That's exactly what it was. And so they're like, we are clean and hygienic, Mm -hmm. and we are in this wealthy, bougie-ass neighborhood with fucking Teddy Roosevelt just, like, up the street and around the corner. Teddy abandoning his child, Alice. That's right, <laughs> up girl. around the corner. <laughs> um, with a big stick. With her... <laughs> Batting that typhoid away. <laughs> so, he's freaking out. Packs up the whole family. Takes them back to the city. So then the Thompsons come home from their vacation in the mountains Mm -hmm. and come home to find their house, like, the most recent outbreak, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. of a typhoid fever. And they're like, uh, what the fuck? Yeah. 
So Mrs. Thompson is like, we need to get this shit figured out. Or we're, A, we're never going to be able to rent this out again. Yeah. And B, I don't want either of us to get sick. Yeah. So she calls an epi- he's an epidemiologist, mm-hmm. which is a doctor who studies epidemics. <laughs> George Soper. So she meets Soap. Soap. <laughs> I'm glad you found that funny because I really thought that was hilarious. He's um, he's a sanitary engineer and an epidemiologist. He's ve- very well versed in typhoid fever and how it spreads, etc. So they meet him at a party and she hires him to fucking figure it out. So basically he comes in. He tests the water. He tests the cesspool. He tests the dairy. What's what? a cesspool? A cesspool is essentially like a big pool of water where sewage goes before we had like sewage, like like I'm- water filtration systems and stuff like it was. It's literally a big pool of shit. Huh. I knew because like. Oh, that place is a cesspool. It's disgusting. That's I didn't exact- know it was an actual thing. Oh, it's a thing, and they're disgusting. Huh. You can find them sometimes in, like, uh... Porter potties. Well, <laughs> yes, that is technically also a cesspool. Disgusting. But you can find them um, out in, like, the country, mm-hmm. because that's where, um, like, run... Not runoff, but where waste from, like, farm animals goes... It goes into a cesspool and then eventually gets treated. Mm-hmm. But. Yuck. Yeah. It, it's not cute. <laughs> uh, where was I? This is disgusting. <laughs> so he tests all these things. He tests the dairy. But everyone else on the island is getting their dairy products from the same place. Mm-hmm. He tests the fruits and vegetables and the water coming from the tap. All of these things. Everything's fine. And so he's like, well, there's something else going on here. So he, like, does some investigating and comes to the conclusion that he finds out that Mary was hired just a couple weeks prior to everyone getting sick. Mm-hmm. She's the only new Ele- yeah. element being introduced here. So he believed Mary Mallon might be the source of the outbreak. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he couldn't find her. <laughs> She's a ghost. She is. Yeah, she is. So she usually, like, hightailed it out of there after an outbreak began because... She didn't want to get sick. <laughs> she didn't want to get sick. Exactly. She's like, oh, look at her. I'm going to get on out of here. <laughs> um, and she never left, like, a forwarding address. Yeah. So... Soper soon learned of an active outbreak in a penthouse on Park Avenue and discovered Mary was the new cook. Two of the household servants were hospitalized and their 21-year-old daughter, mm-hmm. this is the Bowen family, mm-hmm. she died. Rip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Soper, first of all, he followed her home from work okay okay because everybody knows women love being followed at night uh, right <laughs> wait oh i'm sorry i'm sorry okay oh, okay he does but we're not there yet okay so first george finds her goes to this house brings up the idea that you know we think that you are the person responsible for this and <laughs> she 
denied it adamantly. And when he was like, I'm going to need samples from you, she was like, I'm sorry, I'm not taking a shit in a bag for you. <laughs> <That's, laughs> like, I'm healthy. I've never had it. There's no possible way. Yeah. And she got so angry that <laughs> she chased him, like, out of the house mm-hmm. with, like, a big, like, barbecue, like, meat fork. <laughs> <laughs> he fucking booked it, like, all the way down Park Avenue. <laughs> um, so, since she was so unwilling to, like, help in this investigation at all, mm-hmm. um, Soper decided to compile, like, a five-year work history mm-hmm. of Mary's employment. And he discovered that seven out of the eight families that Mary had cooked for had contracted typhoid fever. Oh, wow. Good lo- good on that eighth family yeah. for having a strong immune system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I'm just saying the other people probably deserved it. Because if, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if their bodies were like a little stronger. Exactly. I don't know why we're blaming Mary. That's exactly how she sounded, too. Um, <laughs> An Irish immigrant in the 1800s? Yes. <laughs> sounded like a valley a girl. A fucking valley girl. <laughs> okay. So, on Soper's next visit, he brought another doctor with him. Mm-hmm. But, again, they were turned away. Not having it. Mm-hmm. She's not having any of this. So, anyway, at one point... He followed her home from work. Mm-hmm. Fucking creepy. Yeah. Saw, like, watched her outside <laughs> to see where she was going. And at one point, she went, like, next door to a neighbor's house who may or may not have been, like, her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So, Dr. Soper then talks to this man mm-hmm. and is like, bribed him somehow. Yeah. Into, like, you could let us in and, like, kind of snoop around a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. He was like, I mean, okay. Yeah. So, really, really just invading a lot of her fucking privacy. Yeah. That is just the moral of the, of the, it's just how this tale goes. Like, everybody getting in her business. Getting up in her grill. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Also, she's Irish at this point. She's fiercely private. <laughs> well, that's nothing to like do with Karen. her being Irish. No, 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 no. But what I'm saying is she she can see very clearly, like, how Irish immigrants are being treated. Are being treated. And she's like, I'm living my life. Mm-hmm. You need to fucking stay out of it mm-hmm. and my business. Leave me alone. Mm-hmm. But no, nobody knew anything about her. Yeah. And so making it her not willing to say anything or help them at all, mm-hmm. it was, he was like, well, drastic, you know, drastic, what's it called? Drastic times. Call for drastic measures. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So finally, they send in Dr. Sarah Josephine Baker, who- Josephine Baker? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Not not talking about the banana skirt lady. Uh, Sarah Bananas J- look like dicks. <laughs> Please watch yes. our 48-hour film project <laughs> movie called I Fucking Hate Joe Bones. It's on YouTube. Go watch it. <laughs> okay. So, in the episode of My Favorite Murder, 
Mm-hmm. Georgia mentions how fucking awesome Dr. Sarah Josephine Baker is. Mm-hmm. And she is. They talk about her in the book. She was a huge proponent of, like, public health and ending tenement housing and mm. giving immigrants fucking equal mm-hmm. treatment and opportunities. Yeah. Healthcare. She's a fucking gem. But also, there's this really great story about how she was visiting this pregnant woman, mm-hmm. and her husband was there and was drunk and yelled at her and then threw scalding water at her. Oh, my God. At her at her or her, his wife? At his wife. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Yes. Drunk husband threw scalding water at his pregnant wife. Mm-hmm. And so, Dr. Baker fucking cold clocked him. Ooh. She punched him in the face. He fell down a flight of stairs, and she was like, I mean, I didn't mean to kill him. Oh, she killed him? No, she didn't. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise. He lived. But she was like, I didn't mean to kill him, but I mean, if he is dead, no bigs. (laughs) So she was, she's a tough fucking cookie. Anyway, so Dr. Sarah Baker comes in to talk to Mary. Mm-hmm. trying to talk to her she's convinced that she's being persecuted etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah and so they here let me set the scene for you real quick Ooh, okay i have to wipe my brow because i'm very sweaty right now <laughs> so she's trying to talk to her mm-hmm. and then she's like well that didn't go well so she leaves she comes back so this is four or five times now that they have Multiple people have come to try and Mm -hmm. talk her into helping. Yeah. So she comes back. She's like, well, we're not fucking talking this time. Mm -hmm. So she brings a whole bunch of police officers with her. Oh. They go to the back door. They go to the front door. So (laughs) she, like, sees Mary through the window. Uh Uh-huh. Knocks on the door. Okay. Mary opens it. Threatens her with her goddamn meat fork again. Uh huh. <laughs> Doctor Baker falls backwards onto the police officers. Uh huh. And they're like, "It's okay. They'll catch her up front." Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen though. She doesn't <laughs> go out the front door. So they all go into the house and are asking the other servants, "Like, where's Mary?" Yeah. And they're not telling them anything. <laughs> so they search this whole house. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then they go out in the backyard. And they see that there's a chair over by the fence. Okay. (laughs) Mind you, there's also snow on the ground. There's snow on the ground. (laughs) So they see that snow has been pushed off of the chair. Okay. And there is also snow that's been knocked off of the top of the fence. Mm -hmm. And they're like, son of a bitch. (laughs) She somehow eluded us, climbed over the fence. We've lost her. Yeah. So Sarah Baker calls... Her, you know, calls her boss and is like, so we lost her. Mm-hmm. And he's like, bring Mary Mallon in and hangs up. And so she's like, fuck me. <laughs> so they go into the house one more time and they're like, send a couple of the officers out to go fucking scour the neighborhood looking for her. Yeah. And so they're getting ready to leave. They're coming down the front steps of this Park Avenue fucking fancy ass house. Mm-hmm. And they notice that at the bottom, tucked under the stairs, mm-hmm. there's a little door. Oh. Like a like a storage space yeah. underneath the front steps. Mm-hmm. And they're like, 
that looks. See, what, what's that there? <laughs> is, that a, is that a little piece of dress poking out of that door? <laughs> and there's Mary. a <laughs> no, there's a bunch of like ash cans uh-huh. sitting in front of the door. But they see this little this little piece of blue dress. Oh, like fucking gotcha! So the fucking I don't know how it happened, but the servants like hid her in there and then pushed the ash cans in front of the door so she, so it wouldn't look like anything. Anyway, so. Let me get my notepaper again. Yeah. Okay. They go. They get her. Mm-hmm. Dr. Sarah tries to talk to her. Mm-hmm. Calmly. She's not having any of it. So she forces the police officers to put her in the ambulance to take her to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took four grown-ass <laughs> New York City police officers to put Mary in the back of this horse-drawn ambulance. She's kicking and screaming and cursing. And so they finally get her in there. She's fucking wild catting. She's, yeah. like, going wild. <laughs> and so they get her in there. Dr. Sarah fucking, like, sits on her. Oh like, God. <laughs> they put her on the ground. She sits on her and is, like, holding her down with her body weight. Mm-hmm. She's this tiny little woman, apparently. Mary's wild. I like Mary. Oh, yeah. Oh, she's, she's a hellcat. <laughs> and so there's a quote from Dr. Baker. She said, it was like being in a cage with an angry lion. And I was like, oh, shit, girl. Uh, yeah. And she's like, I've, there's another quote that was like, I've never worked harder in my life than when I was earning $100 a month and had to capture Mary Mallon. <laughs> Like, oh, man, she is really giving them the business. <laughs> okay, where am I? Okay, all of this stuff happened. She's arrested. She's ta- she's not arrested. She's taken into custody. Mm-hmm. They put her in a room, and they're like, we'll wait. So she holds out as long as she possibly can. And oh. then when she uses the bathroom, yep. they're like, they fucking swoop in and take care of business. <laughs> Just- <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then Dr. Soper, who's... I'm sorry if this is taking so long. Yeah. It's just so much information. Dr. Soper has these grand ideas. Mm-hmm. He's developed... She's clearly like an asymptomatic carrier. Yeah. We're going to write about her. I'm going to be famous. They're going to put me in books. Blah, blah, blah. And so he writes this this thing about her yeah. in the Journal of the American Med- Medical Association. In it... He called her a human fever factory, a human culture tube, and a human typhoid germ. Soper's kind of a dick. He's a super dick. A super dick. (laughs) He's a super dick. (laughs) Clever. Clever. Also, so because of this, this is when she gets the name Typhoid Mary. Mm -hmm. Like people read it and were like, oh, Typhoid Mary, blah, blah, blah when she's in the hospital and they're doing all these tests and stuff and they're taking these samples but also like took blood samples like Mm -hmm. strapped her down and took blood samples from her without any fucking consent yeah can't do that the doctors also suggested that they take her gallbladder out Mm. because that's where the bacteria like the bile the stuff lives right (laughs) and so she fucking refused she was like yeah again I don't have it. She's being assaulted. She's being very assaulted. (laughs) Super super assaulted. (laughs) So 
this is just a little fun fact. So William Burke and Mil- William Hare. I know of the Burking. Burke and Hare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Two very famous serial killers. Yep. One of them, I don't remember which one, so I'm not going to say. One of them is from County Tyrone, oh. where she grew up. She has heard many a stories about these two men. Uh-huh. And so part of the reason why she's like, no, you're not fucking, yeah. you're not doing surgery of any kind on me. She was like, they're going to fucking test me. Yeah. They're going to dissect me. Yeah. I've, I know how this fucking story ends. Yeah. Not having any of it. Just for the listeners, Burke and Hare. Oh, yeah. Were serial killers who would, who developed something called quote, burking, mm-hmm. where they would cover your nose and cover your mouth and kill you that way so that your body would be safe to use for c- cadavers, and then yep. they would sell their bodies to hospitals for profit. That's right. But that, And that's why... Thank that you. Comes, yeah. That's why... Yes. Okay. So after all these tests that were run and stuff, it was decided she was, in fact, an asymptomatic carrier. <laughs> her samples... <laughs> Look, not her samples, her poops. Her uh. poops were chock full of typhoid bacilli. <laughs> Ew. This is bad. All of it. Right? All of it's bad. Yeah. So shortly after this, something happened. The New York American, which mm-hmm. was a paper who was run by William Randolph Hearst. Okay. Bank roller, like, yeah. <laughs> super fucking wealthy. So her name, mm-hmm. photos of her. And cartoons of her mm. were, like, two-page spread. Like, front cover, next page. Yeah. Everything about her and about her diagnosis, which is, uh, it's against HIPAA laws is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't have those back then. So all of this mm-hmm. is just there for everyone to read. And the title of the article is called The Extraordinary Trail of Death and Disease Left by Mary Mallon. That's the fucking headline. Yeah. No bueno. So anyway, long story short, she hires a guy, which is, they were her lawyer. Mm -hmm. She's suing them. She's like, you can't fucking do this. Yeah. Her lawyer was probably paid for by William Randolph Hearst Mm -hmm. because he wanted exclusive rights to her story. Okay. So that's probably how that worked out. Okay. He's like, she didn't win. And they were like, all right, well, we're just going to keep you confined. Yeah. They kept her. Yeah. It can't be slander if it's true. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So. But basically what they went to court for was not only that. Mm Mm-hmm. But also, because she was being held against her will. Okay, yeah. The thing was, they were like, she is not obviously sick. Like, if you Mm -hmm. see someone who's suffering from the fucking plague, Mm -hmm. you can put them somewhere to keep the public safe. But she is not visibly sick. Yeah. So you can't detain her. Mm -hmm. So she lost and spent two years and three months... In the hospital. Mm. And then, eventually, the New York State Commissioner of Health, like, a new guy, Mm -hmm. was hired. And he decided that these disease carriers can't be kept in isolation. Yeah. So, basically, (laughs) he said that she could go back to living her normal, everyday life. Mm -hmm. Only if she signed, like, an affidavit Mm -hmm. that says that she would not cook anymore. Okay. And she was like, okay, no problem. So on February nineteenth, she signs this affidavit. She gets a, she gets on a boat 
And she leaves North Brother Island, which is where she was being held mm-hmm. at the Riverside Hospital. Um, she's heading back into sick back into the city and started a job as a laundress. Mm-hmm. Okay. Soap would be good for her. Yes. But not. So being a laundress was some real fucking bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> it's hot, backbreaking work and using all these chemicals, mm-hmm. making your own bleach, making your own detergent yeah. is, t- it destroys your hands. Yeah. Because also there's lye. Yeah. In the soap at the time. Yep. Brings Bad. back to Madam C.J. Walker That's episode. right. So... Making connections. Also, <laughs> uh, they got paid way less yeah. than cooking. After several years, she did this for several years, doing laundry, she said, fuck it. She changed her name to Mary Brown mm-hmm. and got a new job as a cook. Mm-hmm. Despite being explicitly told not to. <laughs> so for the next five years, she worked in a number of kitchens at, like, hotels and schools and hospitals. And wherever she worked, an outbreak of typhoid followed. Yeah. But she changed jobs very frequently to avoid getting caught. In 1915, Typhoid Mary started another major outbreak, this time at... The Sloan Hospital for Women, which is a maternity hospital. Mm-hmm. 25 people were infected and two of those people, like two more died. Yeah. She quit her job again, but was arrested soon after that for bringing food to a friend's house. Oh. If you know that somebody's got typhoid, maybe don't let them cook for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's, Just yeah, saying. No fair. Yeah. So she was, they were like, you can't fucking do this. So they returned her to North Brother Island. And again, she refused to have her gallbladder removed, mm-hmm. which she has every right to not let ex- people remove it. <laughs> exactly. So she remained a ward of the state for the next 23 years. She lived wow. with a, with a fox terrier. Oh, she had a little dog. In a little bungalow on the grounds of Riverside Hospital. Mm-hmm. She became a minor celebrity and was occasionally interviewed by the media. Although they were warned not to accept anything from her. Not even water. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. That's so sad. But later she was allowed to work as a technician in the island's laboratory. Washing bottles. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, like, yeah, wash something, please. <laughs> exactly. Six years before her death, she was paralyzed by a stroke. Oh, Very sad. Yeah. And on November 11th, 1938, she died of pneumonia at age 69. Nice. nice. <laughs> a post-mortem exam found evidence of live typhoid bacteria in her gallbladder. Yeah. So, Mary Mellon was cremated and her ashes were buried at St. Raymond Cemetery in the Bronx. Mm. So, a couple of quick notes. Amidst all the typhoid outbreaks she caused, three deaths can be attributed to her. However, because she used aliases and refused to cooperate, etc., the exact number of fatalities could be as high as 50. Okay. She was the first asymptomatic carrier to be identified in the United States. Because of that, authorities really struggled with what to do with her. Yeah. So, they didn't do great... Yeah, uh, the but the medical world isn't exactly breakthroughs. Breakthroughs weren't made. Yeah, very uh, morally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
It's not great. They yeah. imprisoned her and put her away, and that's not okay. But also, yeah. she should have stopped cooking. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> after you know. But they were and they were harassing her, and that... Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of complexities to this. Yeah. The moral of the story: wash your fucking hands. <laughs> Germs like Salmonella typhi, E. coli, and other incredibly contagious crap mm-hmm. can be killed by just using some soap and water. This yeah. has been a public safety announcement. <laughs> also, vaccinate your kids. Also, please, please do that. And then, just last thing: fun fact. So, 50 years after the death of the real typhoid Mary, a character with the same name who, quote, poisoned all she touched, made her first appearance in Marvel's Daredevil comic book series. Oh. So Typhoid Mary is Is a supervillain. A (laughs) supervillain. Essentially, yeah. And that is that. That was so long. I'm so sorry. I liked it. Thank you. That was a lot of fun to research. That was a lot of fun to hear. Thank you. We will just crack on into yes, the please. next one. Tell me who you're talking about. I'm going to talk to you today about Sister Elizabeth Kenny. I don't know who that is. We are going to stay in the medical world. Oh, okay. Fun. So my sources were polioplace.org uh, and an article called Sister Kenny Confronting the Conventional in Polio Treatment by Mickey Fairley hmm. and then Wikipedia. Gorgeous. Okay. And this is the woman who I picked because we have... I. Did a little map of all the women we've covered. That's right. And we've glossed over Australia completely. <laughs> so here's our first Australian Sorry, Aussies. Woman. We have a listener in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's my friend Fern. That's right. I have a map. I mean, I don't have a map, but I have a list of where some of our listeners listen from. Shout out to Fern. What's up, Fern? Actually, I had a message from Fern on Instagram. And it said... Oh, it's very funny. Hold on one second. I'm just going to pull it up here so I can. So the the message says, so I'm on the bus right now and it's 6 a.m. in Australia. I'm freaking people out laughing out loud to myself about American founding fathers and their, wear, their whalebone penis infections. <laughs> uh, so thank you, Fern. I'm so happy that we can bring you some joy on your commute. <laughs> Okay, Australia. Okay. Polio. Australia. Sister, Sister Kennedy. Sister Kenny. Elizabeth Kenny. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. So she was born in New South Wales, Australia in 1880 to parents Mary and Michael Kenny. When she was 17, she fell from a horse and broke her wrist. And mm. she was sent to Toowoomba. Toowoomba. Oh, <laughs> that's a fun name. <laughs> that's the only reason I put it in. I was like, nobody knows where this is. But I want to say it. We're going to say it. So she went to Toowoomba to receive treatment for the injury. While she was there, her doctor, Aninius McDonnell, not McDonald, McDonnell, McDonnell, allowed her to read his anatomy books and study his model skeleton that he had in his office. Mm. He was like, you got a broken wrist. You're bored. Sure. Play around. Dink around. Yeah. And this actually started a lifelong mentorship between her and him and he would often advise her studies like while she was recovering from this and it was at this time that she picked up a specific interest in the study of muscles 
Interesting. Yes. So after she recovered, she left Toowoomba. <laughs> she became <laughs> she became a teacher for religious instruction and taught Sunday school. Uh, she also casually taught herself how to play piano and then began teaching music to the students a few hours every week. Nice. Uh, a woman of many talents and also a woman who can secure the bag. <laughs> she left teaching and became a successful broker of agric- agricultural sales. Uh, between her city's farmers and northern markets in Brisbane. This is... She's all over the she's damn place. She's all over the goddamn place. Okay. And I haven't even gotten to the, what she's like... <laughs> We're this, is, this is all just a side hustle yeah. until we get to the real business. <laughs> this is all her saving up so that she can stick with her passion. Dang. Okay. Um, so, after she was a successful broker, she then went to work in the kitchen of a local midwife's co- uh, cottage... Where she then earned more responsibilities and became, like, a nurse in training or whatever. Okay. And then received a letter of recommendation from the doctor there. Nice. So, with part of her savings that she got from her brokerage work and this recommendation... Well, okay. With her money, she went to a seamstress and had them make her a nurse's uniform. And then she went off to Nobby, (laughs) another place, (laughs) to offer her services as a bush nurse. So, because I don't don't laugh. <laughs> the bush oh, is sorry. like oh, rural, rural, rural. Mm-hmm. Don't giggle. But bush nurse is really funny. It is. It's pretty funny. <laughs> I gotta touch that hole. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I'm a professional. God damn it! And I wrote, because I guess in the 1800s, the only qualifications you needed as a nurse was a recommendation letter and a uniform. (laughs) Because now she's a bush nurse. So she would travel on foot or on horseback to get to all of her patients because they were, like, far Mm -hmm. spread out in the bush. (laughs) You guys can't see this, but Cassie looked so fucking smug. (laughs) So pleased with myself. I'm brilliant. I can't help it. (laughs) Soon enough, though, she was able to open a clinic of her own in Clifton, where she began to offer a number of medical treatments. In 1911, she treated what was believed to be infantile paralysis, or polio, um, under the supervision of a local doctor. So she opened the clinic, but she wasn't the doctor there. (laughs) Yeah. She wasn't the doctor there. She had a doctor with her. Uh Uh-huh. And she reached out to her mentor, Mr. Mr. Doctor, I apologize, <laughs> Dr. McDonald, for some advice on how to treat the babies because they, they, they were just having issues, you know. Mm-hmm. And he told her that there isn't a cure and that you just need to treat the symptoms that presented themselves at the time. Okay. So she felt the wee baby's muscles and they were, she was like, oh, these are, these are tight. These are some tight muscles. <laughs> And so she applied hot, com- uh, like, compresses uh-huh. to them and wrapped them in woolen blankets and mm-hmm. kept them warm. One child, when she woke up, said, please, I want them rags that make my legs well. <laughs> of course she did. Gorgeous. Uh, but this child said that. And then so she was... It helped. Elizabeth was like, oh, okay, I'll keep giving you these heat treatments. Mm-hmm. And... Because And then she would also move their legs just mm-hmm. to, like, keep, to loosen them up, you know? Yeah, yeah. And after a few weeks, the children recovered with no serious effects. Wow. Which is 
very rare at the time. Yeah. For people to not be permanently maimed from yeah, polio. From polio. So, this seemed to be pretty a pretty significant breakthrough. Yeah. But she didn't get to keep testing this practice on people who suffered from polio because da 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 World War 1. So she went and volunteered her time as a nurse in World War One. In World War One, so because she wasn't actually a trained nurse, like she didn't go to school, yeah, she wasn't allowed close to any battles of the time. Okay, but because they were desperately in need of manpower and uh-huh. nurses, uh, she was allowed to serve on what were known as dark ships, and dark ships were cargo ships that traveled between Australia and England with all their lights off. Because uh-huh. you didn't want to be attacked. Oh, gosh. And they were transferring goods and soldiers. So on their way to England, healthy soldiers would be transported for battle. And mm-hmm. then on their way to Australia, the injured men would be treated on the ship uh-huh. and brought back to, like, actual hospitals to yeah. their homes in Australia. Wow. Yeah. Dark ships. That's yeah. bananas. Okay. Interesting. That's super cool. <laughs> um, They were really dangerous because obviously you're in open waters. Yeah. With no goddamn lights on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But if they had turned their lights on, they would have been spotted. That, yeah. So, in total, Elizabeth was on 16 round-trip voyages from Australia to England. Oh, my gosh. And then one additional one that literally went around the world uh-huh. via the Panama Canal. Oh, my gosh. She's been a lot this of time. This is just the coolest. So, because of her service on these missions, she earned the title Sister. Now, I was confused. <laughs> because I was like... She's not a nun. I've seen Sister Act. I've known. I know sisters are nuns. (laughs) But apparently in Commonwealth countries, which Australia is, Uh sister is a a title given to highly qualified nurses and is almost equivalent to like a first lieutenant. Oh. So, fun fact that needed to be addressed, but she's not a nun. (laughs) That clears a lot of things up. Yeah, it does. (laughs) I was reading, I was like, Sister Elizabeth Kenny, and then because she worked, she was a religious yeah. instructor, I was uh-huh. like, oh, she's a sister. Yeah, yeah. But she wasn't. <laughs> Anyways. Thank you. Okay. During the final months of the war, <laughs> um, she was stationed in a hospital in Brisbane, uh, but she became unwell because she was constantly on a fucking boat, and yeah. like that takes a toll on your body. Yeah. And she was worn down. Um, and so she was honorably distar- discharged from her duties. She expected to retire after the war. But in 1918, Australia was hit with a flu pandemic. And feeling a sense of duty to take care of the people, she opened and supervised a temporary hospital in Nabi. After wow. the pandemic subsi- subsided, she left to Europe for a period of self-care and recuperation. Because she deserved it. She, she worked ne- hard. She needs a little R&R. Yeah. She sure goddamn does. (laughs) Um, So after she recovered, she returned to Australia and then began caring for patients again in her home. And and this is when she became more experienced in treating polio patients. Also at this time, just a a side note, Mm -hmm. she developed what is called the Sylvia stretcher. So Sylvia was the first person that used the stretcher. Okay, yeah. But it was just a marked improvement on the traditional stretcher that was used at the time. And she patented patented the design and turned the profits for the stretcher over to the Queensland Country Women's Association, which she would later become president of. Oh, what an angel. And I couldn't... 
The only, like, good article that was written about, uh-huh. like, the difference between the Sylvia stretcher and, like, a norm, like, what was normally used, yeah. I had to buy. And I wasn't willing to pay. <laughs> <laughs> but. Acceptable. The Sylvia stretcher was made from, like, a cupboard that she ripped off of her own, <laughs> like, off of her own house cabinet. Because uh, a close friend's daughter had been hurt in, like, a motorcycle accident. Uh-huh. But that support. Like, because it was hard. Yeah, yeah, okay. Was what was needed and really helped. Instead of, like, a, a, a like, the fabric da- draped between, like, two sticks. Yeah. Wow. Also, real quick, when you said Sylvia stretcher, I was like, what kind of torture fucking device is this? <laughs> stretcher. We're stretching? What are we stretching? <laughs> I was like, no, no, oh, no. wait. Duh. <laughs> so, at this point, she took time off as a nurse and was just traveling a lot to sell the stretcher to people mm, because mm-hmm. it was a good idea yeah. and she was getting money from it and the money was going towards this woman's association that was, she was really invested yeah. in. And at this point, she decided to adopt an eight-year-old named Mary Stewart mm-hmm. so that she would have a companion. Oh, She was just, you know, like, I'm a little lonely. So sales as sales of the stretcher began to slow, uh, Elizabeth returned to nursing. During this period, she treated her niece that was disabled by polio, and after 18 months, her niece was able to walk again. What? And that was, like, she was projected to, like, never... That's unheard of. Yes. It is. (laughs) (laughs) So, the newspapers in the area went wild and began referring to Elizabeth's treatment as a cure for polio. Mm Mm-hmm. Elizabeth's treatments were revolutionary. So typically when a person had polio, doctors would immobilize their patients and put the affected areas into splints or plaster casts. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth thought this was wrong. And after treating patients for years and years, she decided that the real like help Mm -hmm. would be warm compresses and physical quote retraining. Okay. Of the affected areas. Uh She thought immobilization was actually harmful and thought instead the muscles should be, the muscles needed to be strengthened. They need to be worked. Blood needs to flow through them. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. You can't just, you can't just box it up in a, in a cast and then be like, okay. Yeah. Bye. (laughs) And it was like, even, even the muscles that were affected, there are muscles around it that aren't, that Uh need to be put in motion so that you can function like function that body part exactly under her care people recovered with fewer after effects than those who received normal treatment Mm -hmm. so it wasn't a hundred percent but it was a marked improvement in 1932 queensland suffered from its highest number of polio cases in 30 years and after hearing of the success of elizabeth's treatments in um nobby the government (laughs) began to set up rudimentary polio treatment facilities to help her patient Mm -hmm. to help patients not her patients all of them (laughs) so the queensland's the queensland queensland god hold on give me a second (laughs) take that out (laughs) so the queensland Queensland Health Department. You're really struggling with Queensland. I want to plural it. I want to add an S. The Queensland Health Department supervised the treatment and after seeing its success, opened a number of what they called Kenny Clinics in several cities to carry out these treatments. Nice. 
As she became more confident and recognized for her work, she began to, like, really openly oppose the old polio treatment. Mm -hmm. So she was requesting more access to children affected by polio so that she could, like, help them. Yeah. Like, I need access before I can do anything to make them better. She wanted, and she also wanted earlier access. Mm -hmm. So before really, like, debilitating um, effects set in, she wanted access to them. But doctors refused her help because she was just, quote, just a Bush nurse. Yep. So it's yeah, like, what exactly. does she know? Also, a woman. Yeah. <laughs> You're not a doctor. You're not a fucking doctor lady. And in 1937, she published a book about her work called The Treatment of Infantile Paralysis in the Acute Stage. And then in 1943, she co-authored a book with Dr. Pa- uh, John Paul called the Kenny Con- the Kenny concept of infantile paralysis and its treatment. Hmm. And she also traveled extensively at this time teaching her methods and even went as far as opening a, a clinic in England. Oh wow. Yeah. Her confidence and success was controversial and many Australian doctors and the British Medical Association questioned it because they thought she was lying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Prove it. <laughs> but even she so many patients like she proved it anyway here you are you see all these people who can fucking walk yeah you're welcome <laughs> so one man who opposed her was named Raphael salento and he wrote an evaluation of her work and was like yeah it's well-intentioned but it's bad and was like he was really critical of her methods i don't like him elizabeth was like nah <laughs> <laughs> And publicly confronted him. And this was just unheard of, that a Bush nurse would confront an actual, like, doctor. Medical doctor and be like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And her Mm. response caused a very tense relationship to form between her and the British and Australian Medical Associations. Mm -hmm. Because these, the British and Australian Medical Association backed this guy. Yeah. And so when she was like, you're full of shit, (laughs) shut up. (laughs) They didn't like her. Avi. A commission run by the Australian Medical Association said that Kenny's refusal to immobilize patients was, quote, a grievous error and fraught with grave danger, especially in very young patients who cannot cooperate in re-education. Yeah. (laughs) It it then went on to criticize... The government, the Queensland government, <laughs> which funded Elizabeth's work and referred to her clients, uh, her clinics as admirable, but essentially misguided. So they were yeah. like, you mean well, but you're just a dumb lady. They patted her on the head and went, good try. Yeah. Why don't you leave this to the r- fucking professionals? Yeah. Why don't you let us immobilize everybody? <laughs> <laughs> um, <Ugh. laughs> the government then was like. <laughs> no. <laughs> and rejected their reports and kept funding Elizabeth's clinics. Good. In 1940, they also funded a trip to the U.S. where Elizabeth hoped to further the support of her methods. She just wanted she just wanted people in the medical community to fucking listen to her. To listen. Yeah. She mm-hmm. was just successful. <laughs> like, she was actually helping people. Yeah. And they were like, no, shut up. <laughs> you're a dumb girl you're a dumb girl this isn't the way we do things my eyes hurt from rolling back in my head 
So she went, she was in America at this point. At first, she was not well received. As I've said, her methods were like the direct opposite of conventional treatment. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, in America, she was using terminology to describe the treatment that was just foreign to the US <laughs> and what they were used to. <laughs> yeah. So she used terms such as muscle tightness, and then later she used spasms. Mm-hmm. And then she used um, mental alienation and then muscle reeducation, which was just on just nobody. Yeah. They were like, what, what the fuck does this mean? Exactly. So everybody thought she was a quack. (laughs) (laughs) We don't get it. She's crazy. Right. But what couldn't be denied was her 80% recovery rate. Holy shit. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a lot. That's a pretty fucking amazing rate of recovery. Yeah. Polio is a bad, it was a bad disease. Yeah. It affected a lot of people. The president at this time, FDR. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's a picture of the meeting. So her 80% recovery rate was taken into account Mm -hmm. and her methods were endorsed by the Journal of American Medical Association, which they got brought up in your story. They sure did. And because of this, she became a celebrity Mm -hmm. and in a poll for like America's most admired woman, she beat out Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh shit. So she was, (laughs) it's wild that we haven't heard of her Yeah, because she- It was apparently this huge celebrity. At this point, she tried to attend the Second International Congress about polio in Copenhagen, seeing as she had an 80% recovery rate and she was fucking (laughs) smart. Mm -hmm. But she was shunned by the European community and was barred from attending the meetings. I just just can't. (laughs) And what sucks was at this point, she had been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Oh, no. And returned to Australia for treatment. So she was very sick, and on November 29th, 1952, she died. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Sir McFarlane Burnett, one of her friends, and also he's famous for something. (laughs) (laughs) Also, we don't care, because he's a man. (laughs) He, He later wrote about her, quote, She had treated more cases than anyone else in the world. She gave the precise number, 7,828, and no one else was in a position to speak with her authority. She is now almost forgotten by the world, but there was an air of greatness about her, and I shall never forget meeting her. Mm. It's very nice. (laughs) So nice. Uh, Sister Elizabeth Kenny's treatments changed the course of many people's lives, and this includes Alan Alda... Of MASH fame. Okay. Uh-huh. Opera singer Marjorie Florence Lawrence. Okay. And actor Martin Sheen. Really? Yeah. <laughs> they all had polio wow. and were using Kenny's, quote, experimental uh-huh. treatments. Yeah. That's um, so cool. Some credit Sister Kenny as the founder of modern physical therapy because she was re-educating yeah. muscles. Uh-huh. And in 2009, her treatment was declared as w- declared Q150's Icons of Queensland for its role as an iconic, quote, innovation and, inven- and invention. God damn. What an amazing woman. Yeah. That's so cool. She's How awesome. persistent, too. Yeah. Like, she could have easily just been, you know, like, poo-pooed once or twice and then been like... I mean, I'm not getting anywhere with this, mm-hmm. but to 
keep going and be like, no, fucking listen to me. Mm-hmm. Here are my results. Like, this is actually working. Can you imagine the amount of people that could have been helped with her methods if two major medical associations weren't shitting on her at any chance they got? Yeah, there would be so many people who were not inhibited for the rest of their lives mm-hmm. if somebody had listened to her and given her a chance. Yeah. And FDR had used to her... FDR had also used her methods and at some at one point in his life was able to walk with braces and a cane. Mm-hmm. And that was unheard of. Yeah, because the people only ever, I mean, saw him for the longest time mm-hmm. in a wheelchair. Nobody saw him. Nobody knew that. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, people people in his close circle knew, but nobody the American public didn't oh, know. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And another person who used Kenny's methods that we now, I can now connect was Frida Kahlo. So her dad encouraged oh. her to do physical movements That's instead right. of being bedridden, and that and that was the Kenny th- the Kenny 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 treatment treatment. I was Kenny like treatment. theory. That's wrong. Yeah, yeah. And it's also fun fact referenced in later versions of A Christmas Carol. So Tiny Tim has polio mm-hmm. and was going to do experimental treatments. That's like Aww. that's what they needed the money for. Yeah, was yeah. the Kenny treatment? That's bananas. Yeah. So many close brushes with it, and I didn't know that it there was a woman behind it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we have this fucking podcast. Yeah. So we can talk about these incredible women who nobody knows about. Yeah. Thanks, Australia. Thanks, Australia. Way to go. Good job. Also, Sister... God, hold. Elizabeth. Sister Elizabeth Sorry. Kenny. <laughs> Thanks. What a gem. You know what else is a gem? Leaving... Uh, five star <laughs> reviews. <laughs> Please rate, review, and subscribe. Solid. <laughs> Real. I'm trying to think a good easy segment. transition. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Also, you can uh, follow us on all of our social media doodads mm-hmm. on Facebook and Instagram. We are at that broads got moxie, and on Twitter we are at broads got moxie. Hell yeah, we are. And we have an email address if you ever want to talk to us. And it is that broad's got moxie at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Get at us. Get at us. Get in our bush. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Music by Sage Krenning. Cover art by Vinny Navarrete. Produced and edited by Danielle Barsanti. Side effects of listening to this podcast may include excessive moxie, zero tolerance for the patriarchy, sass mouth, excessive sweating, tipsy tittering, desire to stick into the metaphorical man, fear of cats, empowering women, clammy hands and feet, the inability to do math, lack of patience for the bullshit, thirst for knowledge, questioning the system, cravings for bougie chicken, vodka, and justice, and in some cases can cause death on hills.